Good morning. On this second Sunday of Advent, as we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, we light the candle of love. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might be rich. That is how God showed his love. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Thank you. Can you imagine it with me? I I, want to imagine it. I I, want to think this through. My mind is racing. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What gift am I going to bring? I've got to think this through. We've got to act now. What kind of gifts could we possibly bring that would be just right, just suitable? You know, um, okay, let's make a framework for this. The gift needs to be valuable. Well, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? You, you want the gift to be valuable. What else? What else? I want a gift that's rare. I know, rare and meaningful somehow. I don't want to bring a gift like everybody else is giving. You know how much I hate bringing the gift that somebody else has brought? Anyone with me? Yes. So it's got to be rare, it's got to be unique, it's got to be special. I wonder what kind of gifts other people will be bringing. need to decide what to bring soon. I know, I'll bring our finest ivory. Except that's no longer politically correct, so maybe not ivory. I know, I'll bring a gilded book of our best poetry. Except he's a baby, he can't read, he won't appreciate it. I know, I'll bring a magnificent camel. He's probably got tons of camels, and ours aren't that magnificent after all. Nuts. I like nuts. Don't you like nuts this time of year? What am I thinking? You can't bring nuts to a king. Nuts. Okay, let's go. Maybe honey. I'll bring honey or resin. No. Silver. Silver? Yeah. Gold. Better? Gold. I'll bring gold. That's what it is. I'll bring something made of gold. But what about some kind of fabric? Maybe something to wrap it in or a special dye. Something they don't have access to. Or maybe a special kind of wood. Maybe something made out of wood. I'll bring a boat. That's what I'll bring. I'll give them a boat. But what about a horse? I've got transportation ideas going through my mind. What if the horse drugged the boat? And if we needed, the horse could get into the boat when we... Let's work with this. I'll try to think of some other things. I want our gifts to be exotic, but I guess they are exotic. We're kind of exotic, you know, from the East, Magi, that sort of thing. Oh, I know. We want gifts that will be opulent and meaningful. Opulent and meaningful. What are we working with here? In a word, royal, fit for a king, you know, that sort of thing, because that's surely what he is, a king, right? A great king, obviously. I wonder what kind of palace he lives in. Actually, now that I think about it, how hard is he going to be to see? I mean, what kind of lineups will there be? 
How difficult is it going to be to get a reception with this king? Have you ever thought about that? Who am I going to have to bribe? I mean, it's bad enough to stand in line to get the gift. I don't want to really stand in line to give the gift either. Who will we have to ask so we can get access to him, I wonder? I can't believe that we would be the only ones to witness this portentous sign in the heavens. I mean, the stars are very clear. The stars never lie. I mean, they know that something has happened that has never happened before. History has somehow been reshaped, rewritten, reborn with the coming of this king. The very stars, which are so often so confusing, so vague, are actually, they're speaking with a clarity unknown. They're speaking of the glory of of a newborn king, soon to happen, perhaps even happening now, somewhere far in the west. We aren't sure how far, but we know we can track that star. We're going to take our bearings from it, and we're going to go, I wonder how long we'll have to travel. What am I going to have to take with me? Wait a minute, come to think of it, all these gifts need to be carried so much for the boat. <laughs> You're going to be carried. We don't know how far. It could be thousands of leagues away. It could be whole other countries. Okay, so we need something valuable, something royal that will fit in a carry-on. Is this about carry-on size, folks? Think of the little metal thing at the... About carry-on size? What do you say? Yeah? Okay, so something valuable, royal, that will fit in a box about this size. Are we all on the same page now? better get busy. I've got a lot of shopping to do. The king is waiting. We want to give him a gift worthy of his station. So what do you think? Think it was something like that for these guys? Maybe? Maybe not? Here we are on the second Sunday of Advent and kind of like the Magi, it's about the time of year when we start thinking, oh no, I've got to buy something for somebody. And we start thinking about gifts, what we're going to get, to whom, whom we're going to give them, uh, when we should give them, how much are we going to spend. I know some of us don't think about that. We realize afterwards how much. But, you know, some of us are so organized, we've already got a list with little boxes beside the names. You know, you already know. You've got a few, you know, a range of options for each person because you've thought about this since August. Hands up, anyone. Who? Who's like that? We want to look at you and despise you. Yeah. Yeah, I know, there's a few of you who like that. Others of us just carry a growing sense of dread as we're heading toward Christmas because we know we should be figuring this out. We know we should be making a list. We know we should be having little check boxes, but we frankly are a little overwhelmed by the idea, so we just keep putting it off because, folks, Christmas is coming, right? Later. And then there's a few of us that are just content to wait. We're confident that if we just let everyone else squabble over the goods, By the time we begin and end our Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve, it will just be simpler, won't it? There's be less things to choose from, we hope, except when we're shopping on Amazon and then we're really in trouble. Well, however we do it, however it's done in your family, your household, one thing that's really obvious about the season of Advent, the season of Christmas, is that it is a season of the giving of gifts. Gifts form a central part of the Christmas season. But do we ever ask, like, why is that? Like, why has this tradition of gift exchanges, gift giving, gift receiving, why has it become so central to Christmas? Now, I realize that we can rightly critique some of the craziness that gets involved. I, I, I hear you. 
the rampant consumerism, how we're often piling up more stuff than we need. Most of us need to purge, not add. I get all that. Some of us go way overboard. Some of us take on foolish debt that we then spend months paying off. Okay, fine. We've just named that that can be critiqued. But for today, I'd like to invite you to sort of dig underneath this tradition. Maybe swim through the wrapping paper. Bows, you know, lists, boxes, and then ask, why? Why is the giving of gifts so central to Christmas? What does it all mean? I do wonder what it was like for the Magi as they prepared for this adventure into the West, when they started actually pulling together. We know, we know from the story that the, these Magi came with gifts of what? Oh, yeah, they did pick gold. They were like, you know, uh, <coughs> what else? Oh, yes, and myrrh, valuable things. I don't think they just pulled it out of their back pockets. I think they thought about it. I think they're prepared. <coughs> I'm really coughing today. Sorry. I think they prepared for it. I wonder if it was ever stressful for them. <laughs> you know, you're only shopping for the king of the world. Can't imagine them being consumed with doubt halfway there. Oh my goodness. Really? Myrrh? Isn't that what they wrap dead people in? Who thought of that? Hey! You know. Thank you, Rhonda. Nicola. <laughs> but more than the Magi. I wonder what it was like for the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was it like for him to send his holy, royal gift to us, sent by the Holy Spirit in the envelope of his faithful servant Mary? What was that like? I know God's love for us gushing forth in the gift of Christ is a mystery difficult to comprehend, but it's central to the story. And as they consider the Father's gift, I also think of the Son himself, Jesus himself, who is, in an odd sort of way, both the gift and the giver. Coming to us so that we can receive freedom and forgiveness, friendship. I wonder what it was like for him to be the beloved Son, to then spend all he had, as it were, in order to gift himself to us. How costly. How amazing. Because that's what's going on when we celebrate Christmas, isn't it? We know this is true. I'm not reminding I'm reminding you of something that we all recognize as true. And yet, all this gift giving, sometimes I think we lose track. All this gift giving, whether it's the giving, giving of a cheap trinket or, or some expensive jewelry or a hot vacation or, or just, you know, some delicious Christmas pudding. Even this amazing little simple Christmas market we have coming up on the 23rd for our, all our little people. You've heard about this? setting up a little Christmas market for our little people to go and shop for mom and dad. You know, all of that. It all is part of this giving. Gifts given and received point to something greater, to the most central reality of Christmas, which is the gift of Jesus Christ to us all. Have you ever considered that? I think it's interesting. Our whole culture, people from different traditions, backgrounds, no connection with spiritual things, no connection with the church, people of different families, different traditions. 
they give gifts around Christmas. The Christmas gift-giving tradition ranges from early December. (laughs) Sinterklaas, Dutch, anyone? Anyone? Yeah. So all the way into the new year, into January, the gift-giving sort of encompasses this whole time of Christmas and Advent. All of it pointing to the very center of the story, which is that God gave us the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus. And when you dig underneath the tradition of the gift giving, when you set aside for a moment ways that that's been maybe misused or misunderstood, if if you just put that aside for a moment, you can see that all Christmas giving actually points to Jesus, who is both the generous giver and the most extravagant gift. Even people, I love this, even people who know nothing about Christmas, who don't, who don't typically acknowledge much to do with Jesus at Christmas, when they give or receive a gift this year, they're literally holding in their hands a clue to the meaning of Christmas. They may not know it, but there it is. In fact, more than that, they're actually holding in their hands. They're literally giving to a friend or receiving from another the clue to the meaning of history of their lives, right there in their hands. I think that's amazing. Sneaky. God is sneaky. There it is. Right in the middle of our culture, there it is. There's a lot of places we could point to to see this, but the scripture that's been rattling around in my head uh, as we've been preparing for this series over and over again is in Paul's second letter to the Corinthian Christians, Christians in the city of Corinth. Now, Paul was teaching these Corinthians, was actually uh, inspiring these Corinthian Christians to generous giving. And he wants the Christians to understand the motivation of our generous giving is the generous giving of Jesus to us. He wants us to see the connection, wants them to understand the connection. So I'd like to invite you just to reflect on this verse for just a moment. It's printed, I believe, in your bulletin. Is it? 2 Corinthians 8 9, but it'll be on the screen. Here it is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's the Christmas story, isn't it? In its most basic form, there it is. The heart of the good news story or the gospel story, good news, gospel, same thing. The gospel story that we celebrate, that we tell, that we live by every day of the year as followers of Jesus. But particularly, we point to it and celebrate it here in the Advent season. The rich becomes poor so that the poor can become rich. See that movement? That's central to the story. It's spiritually true. It speaks of the glory and the grace of God's gift of love to us, of forgiveness to us in Christ, the gift of his Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of us. It, it speaks of this great exchange, wonderful exchange that takes place where Jesus comes to us and, and, and takes our place so that we can become part of God's family. 
So much of the gospel is present right here in this little verse, that the king from heaven comes to rescue people who have been bound in darkness, that we who are lost in our sin, in our rebellion, in our folly, where we're you know, sort of chained to the dungeon wall, as it were, unable to do anything to secure our freedom, un- unable to do anything to-, to work our way back or connect back to the God who created us, we suddenly hear a rattle outside the door, and the door's flung open, and light streams in, and our chains fall off, and Jesus says, come on, let's go, and he invites us to follow him into freedom and into life. Jesus breaks us free. And he does this, as we see in the gospel stories and and explained through the letters that follow, he does this by becoming one of us, by joining us in our shame, by taking upon himself our burden, by becoming even sin for us. And then, amazingly, kind of like the prodigal son in the story that Jesus told, you know, we're, we're, we're before the Father in all of our rags and, and, and we're all just destroyed from the choices we've made. We find that, that the Father flings across our shoulders a royal robe covering over our, our, our nakedness and our shame. And he, he puts a, a ring on our finger to show that we've got authority in the family and sandals on our feet because we're no longer slaves. And he invites us to come to the table to this great banquet and sit at the head of the table with the Father and enjoy the bounty of being part of his family. It's all captured in this beautiful little verse. Like a little nut that can grow into something beautiful. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was, say it with me, rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. I invite you this Christmas, or maybe just this next week, take that verse, reflect on it every day, cut it out of your bulletin, Paste it somewhere where you brush your teeth. Reflect on that. The great movement of rich to poor so poor can become rich. Reflect on that. Internalize that. Let that become part of your story as you celebrate Christmas and Advent this year. But here's what's so fascinating about this little verse. This little gospel gem about Jesus making himself poor so we can become rich is not for Paul, some sort of esoteric, abstract idea, you know, just kind of something for us to have a little bit of a warm fuzzy around the fire. I mean, you might have a warm fuzzy around the fire, but it's not just about that. He wasn't just trying to get people to feel better about their life in Christ, though it will do that. He actually is saying it because he he wants them to understand that this truth, the truth of Jesus who is rich, becoming poor so the poor can become rich, gets worked out in a very practical response. Do you know that every other verse, without exception, in all of chapter 8 in this letter, it's a pretty long chapter actually, in all of chapter 8 in 2 Corinthians, every other verse in the letter is about one thing, trying to get these Corinthians to give money. It's a fundraising letter. No, it truly is. I'm not making that up. You read all the rest of chapter 8, and frankly, it bleeds into chapter 9. Paul's got a mission. He wants these Corinthian churches, 
Corinthian Christians to join with other churches in giving a generous offering that he is gathering. He and his co-workers are pulling together and they're going to take that money back and help Jewish Christians back in Judea who are suffering in the middle of a famine. And he wants to inspire these Christians and he uses, well, frankly, read it sometime, fundraising methods that we would not endorse today. Let's just say it this way. If I did some of the things that offering that Paul did to them, you'd accuse me of being manipulative and pushy and mean. Anyway, so we don't do those sort of things anymore. <clears throat> but Paul did it. He said, oh, by the way, <clears throat> the church uh, over there, oh, they've been very generous. Very, very, very generous, yeah. And I actually told them how generous you were. I actually told them you were more generous than them. And so I hope you don't, like, make me look bad by being cheap. You know, that kind of thing. So the rest, of, the rest of 2 Corinthians 8 is all about Paul raising money from these Christians and others to offset a real need in the body of Christ, particularly back in Israel. And, and so what's so fascinating is that this little gospel gem sits right at the center of his argument. And based upon this downward movement of Jesus from rich to poor, Paul calls followers of Jesus who have received these riches from Jesus to now emulate his actions in very practical ways, to emulate the attitude and the action and the behavior of Jesus in how they now give. Very practically, but also generously. In particular, for him, that they would put together money that then would be brought to offset real need in these Judean Christians. The gospel of Jesus, who was rich becoming Jesus who was poor so that the poor become rich in him, it is now demonstrated in very practical giving. And I would say demonstrated in we demonstrate the gospel in how we give, not only through our lives, that is true, but even here at Christmas, even the giving of the gifts that we give during this season. God's generosity to us is worked out, is demonstrated, is made real in some ways in our generosity to others. It's out of our riches that we give to others, particularly in the case in this in this case to those who are in real need, so that we can raise them up. Which brings us to our main point today. There is actually, you could say, a gospel story happening in the gifts that we give and receive. A gospel of gifts, as it were. And I think, through these gifts, there's a way of pointing to Jesus in how we give and how we receive. First, in how we receive. We receive gifts gratefully. Now, I know some of us have struggled with that. We struggle with receiving gifts, right? Anyone struggle with receiving gifts? It's great to be the giver, isn't it? Harder sometimes to receive. But the truth is, when we understand what God has done for us in Christ, and as followers of Jesus, we recognize that, well, actually, we are always in a state of gratitude because we are receivers, right? We have received the gift of love in Christ. Now, for those of us who are still exploring what that means, trying to grapple even this Advent season with what does it mean to receive, just hear this, that at the heart of the Christian faith, 
It's not about what we give. It's about what we've received. It's about recognizing that we have received gifts gratefully from God, our Father, through Christ, by the Holy Spirit. We are ultimately receivers of the greatest gift ever. And we receive that gift gratefully. How that trickles down, of course, it means that when we give to one another gifts, when we share gifts with each other, we have to learn to also receive gratefully. That can be very humbling for some of us, can't it be? Right? It's humbling to be on the receiving end of gifts. I know for us as a family, we've been on the receiving end of gifts from you even just recently. And to know that's humbling, but it's also honoring. And to be grateful, grateful to God, grateful to you. To know that receiving gifts is part of, even central to, the story of our life in Christ. So we receive gifts gratefully. We receive gifts greatly, and when we come together to worship, that's part of why we're worshiping. We're thanking God, we're thanking Jesus for all that he has given to us. And we model that even in how we receive gifts from each other. And of course, we also give generously. We give back to God because we recognize everything we have is from him. We give to certain causes or certain needs. We give to a neighbor who is struggling. We, we, we pour out our lives through time, through energy, yes, through finances, but through the gifts that God has given to us by the Holy Spirit. We, we recognize that God has called us to live out of the riches he has given us. And some of those are financial riches. A lot of that is, is just the gift of our presence in people's lives, our energy and our hearts and our attentiveness and our ears and just our hearts. We give generously back to God and we give to others. This Christmas in particular, I know most of us, I think, will have opportunities to give to people in our family, friends, maybe workmates, maybe schoolmates. Um, We have an opportunity to to give and to give generously. That doesn't always mean a big price tag. Generously can be just from a heart of thoughtfulness, a heart of gratitude. It can be where we've thought through, what is it that would communicate the love of Christ to this person that I'm giving this gift to? But also, we have opportunity at Christmas, and I think more than opportunity, I think a call at Christmas in particular, to give to those in need. One of the amazing things about being part of the Crescent Valley is, of course, what's happening over the next couple weeks with the hampers. Have you ever, how many of you have been part of the Christmas hamper program here in the Crescent Valley? Hands way up. Hands way up. It's amazing to be part of that, folks. I, I tell people all the time, like one of the biggest treats for me, um, I, just as a, a local pastor and I happen to be involved in, in, in the ministerial and in, in the hampers, is seeing the whole community show up and serve. Hundreds and hundreds of people come out of the woodwork to give and to serve. Uh, and I, you know I put in some time at the Gleaners. I enjoyed that. Yesterday, you know, the, the, apparently the Christmas party from Wynwood happened and a truckload of food shows up for the food bank as a result of this party. I love being part. I love seeing the generosity of the valley show up and give to those in need. And we have that opportunity in very tangible ways to serve. So there's a little shout out if you want to join us, the hampers on the 17th and 18th down at the rec center, just show up and Terry will put you to work. But I also want to highlight a a, a neat opportunity with World Vision. And so back at the back, Dana uh, standing in front of a nice red 
trifold that Terry has made, I believe. And it has incredibly cool gift options for people through, through World Vision. You can give a goat. You can give a pair of warm boots. I like warm boots. Do you? You, you can give um, uh, to, to certain projects, uh, to, to, to girls caught in sexual exploitation. You can give toward projects that protect them. You can, you can give school supplies. You can, you can offset other, other costs for family. You can buy piglets and chickens and amazing stuff. And so I want to highlight that because I want to encourage all of us, every one of us, some of your kids, you as families, empty nesters, doesn't matter, to incorporate the giving is as cheap as 10 bucks. Like, who can't afford that? Y'all can. You drove here, you can. 10 bucks. Oh, there's me getting a little Paul on you. Sorry. Huh. No, no, no. That would be if I said, well, you wouldn't believe what they gave. I hope you can beat them. I didn't do that. I want you to look at that. But before you do, here's a 30-second video that will promote it. Through World Vision, every 60 seconds a family receives the tools to overcome poverty. This holiday season, show your love by giving a gift through World Vision. You won't even have to wrap it. With love, victory over poverty is possible. Give love to the world with meaningful gifts. It's amazing stuff that's available, so I do urge you during coffee time, to practically respond to what we've heard today about Jesus, who is rich, becoming poor, so that we who are poor become rich, and then how that works out in practical giving, to grab information in the back and sign up for something. Ten bucks to two hundred bucks make a difference in people's lives. It's amazing. So that's our action application. I also want to highlight our attitude application as we close. When you're giving gifts this year, here's my invitation to you. At a heart level, at an attitude level, As you're giving, even as you're going through the till, you can mumble this verse. Or you say it out loud if you want. Think, I'm giving this gift as a way of pointing people to the gift of life in Jesus. Just just, just say that out loud to yourself. Shing, the till rings it in. Oh, look at there. I'm pointing people to Jesus with my gift. Now, you might want to be a little more explicit than that. You can write something, whatever. But I want to challenge you to rethink the way you're giving gifts this year. I want you to see that as you are given a gift from a coworker, from a friend, from a, from a family member, from a little one, just think, wow, isn't it amazing how the gifts that are given at Christmas point to the ultimate gift of Jesus? That in the attitude of your heart, we say, thank you, Jesus, for being rich and becoming poor so that we who are poor can become rich in you and out of that rich share your bounty with others. That's an incredible attitude to have. And I think as we give in that way, it will not only change the way we think of giving, but I believe more and more people will discover the true meaning of Christmas.